Welcome to USIP ICIP, a weekly podcast with Northern Lights Winery founder Doug Bell, exploring the experiences from leaders in business, social media, and family. Now, here's this week's exceptional guest. Welcome to USIP ICIP. My name's Doug Bell, the host of the podcast. I'd really like to welcome everyone in. It's December in uh, 2022. We've gone through a lot of amazing things over the last couple of years, but one person who uh, has uh, been able to accomplish a ton uh, during this really difficult time is our next guest, Mindy Strowett, uh, the Director of Development for the Prince George Community Foundation. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. We actually went to university together a few years ago, and we've had lots of great conversations over the year, but probably nothing as in-depth as what we're going to do today. No, I'm. it's been a while. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming in. And uh, let's get us a little bit of a, a background for uh, the audience before we get started. Yeah, so I was born in Castlegar in the Kootenays. Um, and had the opportunity to kind of live in different parts of British Columbia, as well as Ontario for a couple of years um, until I found my way up at UNBC. And I've been here for the better part of 20 years, which is kind of crazy to say that it's been that long, but... Yeah, there's so many similarities in the Kootenays of the province of British Columbia to uh, the Prince George area, which people call Northern BC, but really we're in the center of the province. What is it about kind of this outdoor areas that has attracted you over the years? Because even you lived in Smithers for quite a while. That's right. Yeah, I, I really like the small town. You know, we are avid skiers. Um, we love camping and going to the lake. And I really like the connectedness of the smaller communities. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes a ton of sense. Now, uh, growing up in those smaller communities, uh, did you find that it was kind of, was it difficult to uh, to get everything done that you wanted to do with kind of the limited availability of services and resources? Or, or did you kind of like that fact of that interconnectedness of the smaller communities? Yeah, I think, I mean, in one point, I would say it was harder to do activities, like um, organized activities, I would say, because there was less options available than a larger community like Prince George. But um, I like knowing my neighbor. I, you know, I like that my kids know the kids on their street. Um, I think especially as during the pandemic, when everybody was stuck at their houses, being able to, you know, have a yard to play at, like how fortunate were we? Well, it's true. And I think it kind of speaks to what you're doing today in the Prince George Community Foundation, that you are all about bringing people together in a a community. Um, And that's really interesting. So what brought you to UNBC in Prince George? And uh, and why did you kind of get drawn to the North? I remember, so we lived in Mackenzie and Williams Lake growing up and my dad's family primarily was in Prince George. So we used to come here, you know, for Christmas and Easter and all the holidays. And I remember going to my uncle's retirement party up at um, the Immaculate Conception Church. And at that time, that was the only thing up there. The houses were not there. It was a forest road to UNBC. Like there, there's nothing up there at all. And I just remember seeing the university on the hill and saying, one day I'm going to go there. And I did. And I loved it. And I'm so grateful that I went to UNBC. I mean, as you know, it's a fantastic school. 
it allowed me, I coached biathlon as um, a young adult and it allowed me to be able to do that as well as doing my studies. And I'm, I'm very grateful for the university. Yeah, UNBC was so different early on. And, and for those who don't know, the University of Northern British Columbia uh, in Prince George, I think it opened in the early 90s, late 80s. My aunt was actually one of the first kind of employees there, uh, got a chance to be in the line as the queen opened the university. Um, and, you know, it was a really exciting time. And it was actually the story of how the university came to fruition was really interesting. Um, it was a group of individuals uh, inside Prince George, not very large. It was one of the local organizations. I, I, I can't remember if it was Winston's or one of those groups um, who, who said, we need a university in Prince George and we need it now. And they uh, drove um, the initial uh, um, drive to get, I think, $5 from everyone who wanted the university. And they signed up thousands and thousands of people in the city and they made such a compelling argument to why it should be here that the province could not say no. And they opened it uh, and with a uh, you know, little fanfare. Um, and what was interesting was that it drew such a diverse group of individuals to the city of Prince George from all across northern BC, but incredibly uh, now also in southern BC, in the Kootenays, in Alberta, and across Canada, and internationally, to come to Prince George. And it is, in a lot of ways, revolutionized the city of Prince George. Um, is that how you feel about UNBC? And, and what are some of like your memories about um, kind of interacting with people from all across Canada at the University of Northern BC? Yeah, I mean, I think growing up in smaller towns, we didn't have a lot of you know, I, I mean, I graduated high school in Williams Lake, so we didn't have a lot of international students or, you know, um, families from outside of the area. So coming to UNBC and, you know, moving into res that first day and all of a sudden you have a roommate from Toronto and Victoria and, you know, international students down the hallway. It was it was really fantastic and it was really great. I mean, I think. Um, being able to interact with these different um, different individuals from different lifestyles and different sets of experiences is really what is wonderful about the university is that it's, I, I mean, I guess that's true for any university, but bringing people together, um, which I'm a huge advocate for. Yeah, it sure is uh, fun to think about all the people that have experienced the city of Prince George based on the fact that we have a university here and how many people have then chosen after their studies to stay in the area, whether it be in Prince George or Smithers, Prince Rupert, Fort St. John, um, you know, because we have so much to offer and I think it's brought so much talent to the area that we wouldn't have necessarily had otherwise. Absolutely. And I know, you know, when I was going through university, uh, a lot of my friends said, I can't wait to leave. Can't wait to get out. Can't wait to get back down to Vancouver. The majority of them are back in Prince George mm -hmm. because it's a wonderful community to live in. It's, you know, it's affordable. It's great for families. There's a lot of outdoor activities and our community offers a lot. So and such a volunteer base and everything as well. So what happened after uh, you graduated from university? What did you graduate with? So I graduated with a Bachelor of Commerce um, with marketing and international business. Um, and I was working in marketing for a couple of years and then I 
like to say I fell into fundraising. I had no idea that it was a professional designation or professional career. An opportunity came up to work for Barkerville and I jumped at it and I've never looked back. That's so neat. We've had uh, uh, a few people from Barkerville recently, but um, tell us a little bit about that because many people don't maybe not maybe don't know what Barkerville is. Yeah, so Barkerville is a national historic site just south of Prince George. And it is the size of a small municipality, which I don't think a lot of people realize. Um, So I was hired to do a $20 million capital campaign for Barkerville. And the majority of the money is in the ground. So like, you know, it's um, new sewer systems, fire suppression systems, there's a couple new buildings, um, but majority of it, you can't see it. But if we didn't do that work, Barkerville might not be there today. Wow, that's incredible. And you think about Barkerville, it's such an important historic site uh, within the province of British Columbia. It really transports you back to the gold rush days. Uh, you can do a little gold panning there. Oh, of course, there's all the actors that are, uh, you know, pretending that they were back in, in uh, the 1800s. Um, it's kind of fun. Great for kids. Great for adults, though. Too, yeah. And I mean, probably the best Chinese food, the <laughs> Lung Duck Tong. I mean, highly recommend it. It's uh, worth going for that alone. Definitely. Definitely. I've eaten there a few times. <laughs> Uh, And so you kind of fell into this not-for-profit. It must have been interesting because you were relatively young at the time, uh, trying to raise $20 million and and convince people uh, that this was a great idea uh, and that, uh, you know, whether it's the the government or whether it's a business, um, they have to see kind of a return on that investment or they have to see value in what it is that they're putting the money towards. Um, When you first kind of approached somebody uh, what was that like and, and kind of how did you approach it um, the first time? Terrifying. I would say the first the first time was terrifying. Um, you know, all of a sudden you're in a room with these, you know, very influential people in our community. And, I, you know, I'm aware that people get asked for donations all of the time. So bringing forward our case of why this was important Um It was also exciting. It was exciting to share the vision that Barkerville had for its future and what that would mean for our community and the region, as well as the province. Um, And of course, I got a couple of no's and it was discouraging, but I will never forget the time we got the phone call from the provincial government that they were giving us $6.7 million. That probably is the best day that you just cannot it you know it was years and years of work to lead up to that point and then when you get that yes it's the best feeling yeah i could imagine how how exciting it would be especially after a few no's and i mean one of the things i don't think the general population really appreciates uh, is how much work that volunteers and not-for-profits do for somebody else right and there are, you know, you can get paid uh, to do these this work, but not to any degree versus, you know, uh, if you were going into like a private sector um, with the same skill set, often you're kind of taking a, a discount to do this hard work, which affects thousands of people. And uh, whether, you know, we're going to Barkerville or we're going uh, or uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters 
or you know uh, many many organizations that do work either um, you know to for a cause like uh, like um, cancer treatment or you know to support our communities. I think we just see these services and we just kind of take them for granted. But you didn't. And like, was there a reason for that? Were there maybe times when you were growing up that you got a chance to use some of these services or that you saw some of these services in action? You know, I I think as I was reflecting back, one of the influential moments of my childhood, um, our family went to Disneyland and we took a day trip to Tijuana. And I remember on the bus ride into Tijuana, the um, the bus driver said, you know, when you go, we're going to this little market where you can walk along and you can shop the shops and you can stop and have a coffee and and whatever. And they said, there are going to be people panhandling, but don't give them anything or they won't leave you alone. And, you know, I was probably 10 years old at the time. And I remember sitting at that little cafe with my parents and my sister and this little girl sticking her hand through the little gate asking for money. And I, I will never forget that. I will never forget that image and about how fortunate we are. And I have a real sense of supporting one another and helping one another. And there's so many charities in our community who are on the ground doing that work day in and day out. And so to be able to support it is, I mean, I, I'm incredibly passionate about it. It's so incredible. And you think about in the next few weeks, the, I mean, as you're passing the Salvation Army kettle campaign, and you think about the fact that they are feeding thousands of people right here in our community, 365 days a year. And what would we do without them? Like, because uh, there aren't enough supports just coming from the government. Um, and, and you know, should there be, I think it's really important that we're providing not just supports for people who have issues, whether that be mental or health or physical or, uh, or you know, alcohol abuse, uh, drug abuse, that kind of thing, but also trying to like catch the people before they get in there, right? So then you need those services to try and help, you know, youths who are growing up disadvantaged who maybe don't have great role models um, you know, trying to provide support for for people who um, who want to get back on their feet after they maybe have kind of fallen off for a few years. And uh, so part of the the challenge for a lot of organizations is picking which one do they choose and which one do they support. And so what do you what do you do when you approach a business when you're trying to obviously help your support your cause, not that you have anything against other causes? But how do you approach it? How do you try and find the right donors, the right supporters to match um, with what you're trying to accomplish? The beauty of the Community Foundation is that we support everybody. Mm -hmm. So anybody in Prince George, we also do outreach to the region. Um, and basically anybody fits within our mandate of support, which really opens our um opportunity to have donors or corporations be part of it because we are able to really take your interests and put it where you want it to go and if your neighbor has a different interest that's okay we'll, we'll you know we can take their interests and put it towards a different area as well last year the foundation supported 44 local charities in prince george um which is incredible and a broad variety of them as yeah. well yeah, absolutely. 
Um, before we get into the Prince George Community Foundation, because I'm really excited to hear about what it is you do, because I, I don't think that it's well known uh, or not as well as it should be. Um, after uh, Barkerville, where, where was your next stop? So we relocated to Smithers for work, for my husband's work. And so I began contracting. Um, I had the privilege, I was approached by a couple of community members in Smithers um, to start the Bulkley Valley Healthcare and Hospital Foundation. So I assisted them in like the constitution and bylaws and electing the first board members and the first gala fundraiser that they did um, and their first grant cycle and everything like that. So that was a really really great experience to yeah, really start, from the ground up really from the ground up and really starting and seeing it develop over the last almost 10 years now has been really incredible for the entire Bulkley Valley how did you get those skills I'm, I'm curious because that doesn't have anything to do with your degree you know you stepped into fundraising for Barkerville which was very different and all of a sudden you're doing you're like creating a constitution and bylaws yeah I think of it uh, on the job training learning learning as I went. I mean, I'm also fortunate that I had an incredible mentor um, who has been in fund development for 30 plus years, who was, you know, only a phone call away, um, had an opportunity to take a lot of training courses. And I mean, as I progressed through my career, I actually have obtained my designation as a professional fundraiser. So, um, but really on the job saying, sure, let's do that. Let's try that. Wow, that's so great! I think that there's probably a lot of lot of individuals out there that have a, would have a little bit of fear when they're stepping into kind of the unknown and they're doing something without any background or training or experience. Yet you did it very successfully. Um, what would you say to people who maybe were kind of afraid to step outside of their comfort zone and and get into a job that maybe they don't know anything about initially? Uh, jump in, try it. Um, surround yourself with um, individuals who have experience. I mean, you know, when you're talking about a constitution and bylaw, I didn't do that by myself. I mean, I brought in, you know, lawyers and we had an accountant who helped us. And it's, it's knowing that you can't do it alone, but willing to take that step to at least try. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, everybody is willing to help. Somebody is willing to help. So being okay to ask. And thinking critically, right? Like you have to start from the very beginning of, okay, uh, this is where I want to go, but you can't jump from A to Z. You need all those letters in between. And so you don't necessarily know about those letters, but you, but you can find out, right? And so you just tackle one problem at a time and one problem turns into the second problem and the third problem. And if you solve enough problems, then you have a successful outcome. And I mean, I also think that I'll, I mean, in all of my work, I really think, you know, working together and supporting one another is so important. So when you're looking at doing, a, you know, starting a hospital foundation, there's a lot of great examples in northern BC. I mean, there's Spirit of the North. I remember picking up the phone and calling Judy Neiser saying like, hey, what, what, what do you think about this? Or how did you figure this out? And there's so many resources within our network that we need to utilize and that can help us and support one another. So you spent... Uh, a pile of time in Smithers. What a beautiful town that is, by the way. Uh, and, but you did decide to come back to Prince George later on. So maybe tell us about why. 
I, I mean, really, it was my husband's job brought us back to Prince George. Um, Smithers was incredible to live in. And, you know, we fully enjoyed the outdoors and the community and love going back there. Um, we have family in Smithers still. So, um, but I'm, I'm happy to be back in Prince George. It's, you know, a little bit of a bigger community, more opportunities for our kids and, and a great community. And you've got a nice family now, so you've kind of developed through this whole process of you developing personally in your career, of course, your husband as well, and and then coming together and, and uh, back to where it started uh, near UNBC. Um, and uh, you got a job with the Prince George Community Foundation. So what is it that the Prince George Community Foundation does? So the Prince George Community Foundation really exists to support the community. Um, so we provide grant dollars to the community um, to support in six different areas, which are really broad. So arts and culture, social services, health, education, the environment, and sports and recreation. So really, when you think of those six categories, it's like everything fits within it. Um, you know, we provide a lot of scholarships and bursaries to School District 57, to CNC and UNBC. Um, and really, as our organization evolves, we're looking at those strategic partnerships in the community and really how we can support one another better um, to really help everyone within it. So most uh, not-for-profits or, or charitable, charitable organizations have a mandate, which is quite narrow, right? This is the singular issue that we want to help uh, alleviate or support or or. or hopefully find a cure for in some cases. Um, but your organization is so neat because it is such a, a wide breadth of options. Um, and you have the ability with your board to make adjustments along the way based on the needs of the community so that you can funnel uh, money where it actually is needed at that given time. Um, and, and I know during the pandemic, you were able to, to do some really interesting things. Maybe tell us a little bit about that and how those decisions, um, came to be. Yeah. So, I mean, as soon as the pandemic was declared and our office closed, you know, we were really thinking, what can we do immediately? How can we support the community immediately? And we gave $60,000 right away out into Prince George to support um, St. Vincent de Paul's food bank, Salvation Army's food bank. And then we gave some seed money to United Way of Northern BC's, their COVID relief fund um, to help encourage others to donate as well. And I think that really shows the flexibility in the foundation that we were able to make that decision, you know, right away to support an immediate need in our community. Um, we also have the benefit that we're part of Community Foundations of Canada, which is the large network of community foundations across Canada. Um, so when the federal government announced emergency relief funding, we were able to administer it for not only Prince George, but for Northern BC. So for a hundred mile house north, um, majority of the communities, we administered dollars to those um, to those organizations within um, their communities, which was huge. Um, over $1 million was given out in Northern BC. And to be a part of that was really, I mean, there's so many examples of how those dollars helped those communities so much. You're in such a unique position. And this is, I mean, I can see why you're passionate about it. I can see how passionate you are about it. 
Because when you you talk about an organization that's making real change, that's exceptional. But the other thing is that you're able to kind of cut through the red tape. And so sometimes, um, you know, there are different places within the community that need support faster. And they might have the ability to apply for a government grant or, you know, to fundraise. But it can be very time intensive and you need the right people to do it. Whereas you're able to kind of jumpstart a lot of organizations, either at the bottom level or if they have a specific goal that to attain that they're getting close to, you have the flexibility to push them over the finish line. And there's not a lot of organizations that can do this. Um, so you have a lot of responsibility to yet... Prince George Community Foundation isn't as well known as maybe as it as it should be. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, I always say that we're like the best kept secret um, in the community, and I like I hope that we are well known and that the community really sees the good work that the foundation is doing. But I think ultimately, the work that we do is supporting the charities on the ground who are doing the work. They're doing the hard work in the community, and you know we have the honor of being able to support them and to. Um, you know, one of the beauties of the foundation and that I hear time and time again from organizations is you provided us with the seed money to get started, mm-hmm. or we had a new idea and you gave us the funding to try this out. And that's what I love. It's not about supporting all of the larger established charities, but it's also about supporting the, the little guys, which is incredibly important um, in my mind. The ones who, as you said, they don't have the resources to necessarily apply for um, all of these large applications, but we can support them. Do you have any special favorite projects that you've been able to support over the years, either with the the Prince George Community Foundation or, or in another one of your roles? Yeah, so uh, there's so many. Um, I think during the pandemic, one outside of the community that really stands out for me is we had a small community in northern BC who ran a food bank and we approved a grant for $15,000 to support their their hamper program and when I emailed the lady saying that they had been approved for this funding she called me and she was crying on the phone because she said we have a meeting tonight where we were going to decide whether or not if we could stay open or not and because of this funding, we can stay open. <laughs> and like, how wonderful is that? Yeah. That we were able to support it. So that's, you know, probably one of my top, top ones. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of our support. We partnered with Rio Tinto a couple of years ago to provide $155,000 to BC Cancer Foundation for their precision radiation training that's happening right here in Prince George, which, I mean, Early results are showing that it's a huge success and is going to transform, you know, cancer treatments, which mm-hmm. that's not just for Prince George. Mm-hmm. That like that research is going to impact people around around the world. So um, that's really exciting. That that in particular, that is a very exciting project. I know it was a small part of it in the fundraising, but I know it is so difficult to choose a project. But for uh, an organization who might be listening, what is that process when they do 
uh, require funding and, and what is kind of eligible funding from the Prince George Community Foundation? Mm-hmm. So our grant guidelines are fairly broad. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm really not going through them all right now, but I would encourage people to go to our website and check out the grant guidelines. I mean, of course, I encourage people to call me, send me an email, call me, um, talk to Sandra in our office and talk to us about your project. We have semi-annual grant cycles, but call and talk to us about your project. Our next grant intake opens on February 1st, um, 2023. And so you can submit your application through there with the results announced late April. That sounds great. And uh, I think what's really neat too is that you are so uh, available for the community, right? Like you can actually pick up the phone and actually talk to Mindy at any time you need, or Sandra, who is maybe one of my favorite people on this planet. Um, so when you, part of it is of course the, the fun part, which is giving out the money. <laughs> and then, and then you talked about how, uh, uh, acquiring the funds is actually even more important because first you need to acquire the funds, um, to be able to support. And some of those funds are acquired through government grants or, um, through different industry, uh, and then some of it is uh, through event-based uh, um, um, fundraising and stuff like that. Uh, how do you set your budget at the beginning of the year to try and acquire as much funding as possible to support more organizations? Yeah, so our organization is primarily endowment-based. So that means that when you make a donation to the foundation, it's invested And then the income earned every single year is granted back to the community. So it's a very sustainable model that every year, year after year, we can continue to grant back. So the larger our endowment grows, the more income we should earn, and then we'll be able to support the community. I mean, we also, as donors' um, wishes are changing, we're able to amend it so that if you want part of your money to go into support a certain cause right away, it can go. And then the rest is invested in an endowment. It's, it's really flexible. I mean, there's so many different options on how you can donate and how your funds can be used with the foundation. So I really encourage people to call us and say, you know, this is my idea. How can I support it? I mean, when we look at our event, Prince George Live. Last year, it was going to be something totally different. And then the war in Ukraine happened. And we said, what can we do? So we pivoted. And all the funds that were raised at that event went to support Share Hope and the work they're doing in the community to support Ukrainians coming to Prince George. That fund is still open. So as we know, you know, by the end of the year, we're going to have, what, 200 Ukrainians in our community um, and we're continuing every single day to accept donations to support that and they're going immediately to share hope to support the work that they're doing. That's incredible and another great example of uh, taking a cause that's needed right now and making a really quick decision but I also really love that organizational format because so many uh, different groups uh, they need the funding right away So they accept the donation and then that gets used for goods or services or items at that moment. But the way that you set up this organization, when you donate, you're not just donating today, you're actually uh, donating perpetually 
uh, over a really long period of time. So that $10 that you're putting in might end up to be, you know, support $100 or $1,000 worth of good services um, and uh, supports for the community. So, I mean, I think when you're considering where you're going to put the money, that is a really impactful message that people need to often understand. Um, what is kind of the future looking like now that you've kind of settled into the role you've been in there for a few years? Um, you've developed out uh, a really nice structure, but how do you, how are you going to make decisions in the future that are going to continue to grow your organization uh, in terms of influence and support for the community? Yeah, I think trust-based philanthropy is a large conversation that's going on around the world right now. So really looking at evaluating how we make our grant decisions, how we work with charities in the community, um, and what are the future partnerships and opportunities for the foundation. I'm always on the lookout for what's a what's the next big project that the foundation can be a part of and how can we invest our dollars differently to support um, our community even more because I mean I'm all about I'm all about supporting our community as much as possible and so that's something that I'm always looking at what is that what is that next possibility and are you also trying to kind of now mentor other community foundations you talked about how it's a broad group um, you, you are now a leader within that group as well and recognized as such. Um, have you started to kind of step into that mentor role for others? Yeah, so I, I mean, a large part of the Prince George Community Foundation that we didn't really talk about was that we actually manage 17 regional community foundations are actually part of our foundation. And so they're in Northern BC and the Caribou and a lot of them don't have staff. So we are that resource for helping to support them with, you know, whether or not if it's fund development or granting, we're there to support them. Um, I'm also looking nationally at how we can support other community foundations around the country because I mean, as I've said, I, I mean, I sound like a little bit of a broken record, but I mean, the more, I'm all about supporting one another and it, I want us to grow collectively. It's it's not about competing with one another. It's about supporting one another. And I think the better everyone, all the charities do, the better we all do. That's absolutely true. Mindy, you, you're such a refreshing guest to have because you have such a great outlook on life. You really see the best in everybody. And I also think you're an incredible mentor uh, for, for women, for charitable, charitable organizations, for young people who are doing great work in their communities. Uh, and I really thank you for everything that you're doing. Thanks for having me. Well, this has been another episode of You Sip, I Sip. Thank you, Mindy, for coming in today. And until next week, cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to You Sip, I Sip. Please hit the five-star rating and leave us a review. If you'd like to learn more about Northern Lights Winery, text us at 604-670-4046 or visit us on social media at Northern Lights Winery.